Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Second Cup podcast for our next episode in the Joshua Year series, Fear, Freedom, and What Happens in Between. If this is the first time you're tuning in, you can find chapters one through three on the Second Cup Substack site or on Apple Podcasts. We've been over here talking about fear and anxiety and how God can help us get free of that. In last week's episode, Why Are My Friends So Scary?, we ventured into the first territory of our lives that can become overwhelmed by fear, and that's in our friendships. We talked about how we can find the courage to remove the masks we wear to protect ourselves from rejection only when we have spent time unmasked with Jesus and experienced the way it feels to be known and loved by Him. But what if feeling known and loved by God feels elusive to you? What if you've never experienced it before in your life? And don't know how. What if you don't feel worthy of his love and grace? Today on episode four, called Grace, That Elusive Gift, we're going to learn how to begin accepting God's grace and how that's going to be a huge win in our journey toward freedom from fear. This is one of my favorite topics to talk about, probably because I've spent years struggling to understand and accept it myself. So know as we get started that you're in gentle hands with me and that this tough work takes time, but I really believe it's the most important work any of us can ever do. So let's get started. I used to waitress in a little cafe in my hometown. I spent a lot of time there pouring coffee and slinging sandwiches and chatting up the old guys that hung out at the counter. We called them the coffee guys, and they were the regulars. Over the years, I formed a special relationship with one of these regulars. I'll call him Reno. He worked across the street, and he came in every day for lunch, and sometimes for dinner, too. When the cafe wasn't too busy, I'd stand at the counter, and we'd talk about whatever was going on that day. I'd fill up his coffee when it got cold. It wasn't unusual for Reno to leave massive tips enough to cover my car's oil change that week or help pay for my prom dress. He held such a special place in my heart that when Ethan and I got engaged, I said, we have to invite Reno to our wedding. But on the day that I went into the cafe and handed him the invitation, he said something to me I won't ever forget. He smiled for a minute, looked like he might even say yes, but then said, Nah, you don't want me to come to your wedding. If I step into that church, it'll burn down around me. Have you ever felt like that? I have a suspicion that there are huge numbers of people who, at some point in their lives, have come to the conclusion that God is not for them. Or, even worse, that God is against them. I think this happens so much because we know that God is good, And since we're generally aware of how not good we are, we find it very difficult to believe that God could tolerate our serial mess-ups and all-around shortcomings. We live in a world where we're expected to earn our love and good standing, so it seems impossible that a perfect God could accept us with all of our imperfections. What I want to talk about today, though, is that if we're struggling to accept God's grace— Chances are we're focusing too much on what we can't do when what we really need to be focusing on is what God can do. 
As a recovering achievement addict and people pleaser, perhaps it's no surprise that I feel the need all the time to perform and please God. I'm a doer. So basically I'm saying, look at me, God, look at me, love me, love me, love me. I'm happy to flaunt the, quote, good things that I've done in a day, taking a deep breath rather than complaining out loud, making a meal for someone going through a tough time, or reading the grumpy ladybug on repeat with patience and love. But the bad things I've done, or the bad things I've thought, or the bad things I've said, well, those are embarrassing. There are days, weeks, seasons, when I am self-righteous and indignant and arrogant and whiny. Sometimes I do or say things that are downright sinful. I know it's ugly, and I figure God thinks it's ugly too. So what happens is I end up lurking on the sidelines of his love, trying to get my heart right before I go to him. That never really works, so what happens instead is that I stand at arm's length. I hang my head, I walk away and pick up my masks, you know, the ones we talked about last week that we used to cover our shame. And then... I try to do life apart from God. Have you ever tried to do life apart from God? Has it been a day? A season? Years? Your whole life? Is it because that's what you really want? Because you don't actually believe in him? Or you don't like him? Or you don't need him? Or... Are those just the stories that you've told yourself about God because you're too scared to sit in his presence and face the terrible prospect that he would see you, know you, and reject you? The author Brennan Manning writes about this fear of our being seen and then rejected by God in his book, Ruthless Trust, saying, we simply do not trust that he can handle all that goes on in our minds and hearts. Can he accept our hateful thoughts, our cruel fantasies, and our bizarre dreams, we wonder? Can he cope with our primitive images, our inflated illusions, and our exotic mental castles? We conclude that he cannot, and thus withhold from Jesus what is most in need of his healing touch. We need to get love and acceptance somewhere. That's how we're hardwired. If we decide we can't trust God with our stuff, we end up turning to the world and try to find it there. But man, the world is a harsh taskmaster. We're living in a quid pro quo cancel culture. We could mess up at any time and lose the love that we so desperately need to feel validated, to feel fulfilled. But God is not a quid pro quo God. You know how I can say that with certainty? He gave us Jesus. He basically said, I know you can't be good all the time. I know you're going to mess up. You're desperately human. I don't want sin to separate you and me anymore. I don't want you to have to constantly be offering sacrifices for your mistakes. I'm going to send my only son, Jesus, and he's going to pay for every sin you've ever done and ever will do. It's all on him. 
And when you acknowledge it, that Jesus died to do what you could never do for yourself, there won't be a single thing that can keep us apart. See, God has not canceled you. (laughs) No, not even you. Not even me. Not for the way we choose to live or for that thing that we did that we wish we had never done or because we're an absolute mess. He sent us Jesus who calls himself the good shepherd. And do you know what the good shepherd says about his relationship with us? He says, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. That's from John 10, 9. Let's focus on this for a little bit. Jesus does not say, if anyone comes to me, but they don't meet a certain standard, they'll have to leave and figure it out on their own. No, 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 no. He says, first, that when anyone comes to him, they'll be saved. What will they be saved from, pray tell? Sin, death, striving, guilt, shame, fear, and a million other things. Then he says that anyone who comes to him will come and go freely, and that whenever they come, they'll find pasture. Pasture here I think of as rest, nourishment, fulfillment, validation. Here's the important part, the part that we mustn't miss. Experiencing the fullness of God's love does not start with our becoming better people or doing more. It starts with our entering the gate. Jesus said, if anyone enters by me. It starts with having just enough courage to move from the periphery, looking in at God, to putting one shaking foot over the threshold. We don't even need to announce ourselves. Jesus will know we're there. He'll pull us into his love and he'll say, I am so glad you finally came. It feels almost impossible to believe that he could see our dirty little and big secrets and still look at us with adoration or as works of art or with genuine delight. We're used to being loved as the world loves us receiving it here and there when we're kind and lovable and deserving. But God's love is a different breed. It's more capable and encompassing than what our human hearts can hold. Remember our friends, the Israelites? Well, not long into their journey in the wilderness, Moses goes up on a mountain for 40 days to be with God, and down at base camp, the Israelites go nuts. They make new gods for themselves out of gold. They worship them, and then they eat, drink, and party themselves silly. At that point, God had every right to give up on them. They gave up on him. He could have left them right there in the wilderness and said, Fine, your new golden gods can save you. Most any human would probably do that. But that's not what he did. Instead, he stuck with them. He said, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, 
and sin. That's Exodus 34, 6, 7. And that's grace. Dazzling, sweet, awesome grace. It takes me by surprise all the time. I forget that I don't have to prove myself worthy of it all the time. And sometimes it takes me a while to remember that it's as simple as turning around and walking through an ocean gate. But when I do, when I finally remember, when God finally says, Deidre, turn around. I'm at once with Jesus, and I just want to bask in the way his gaze makes me feel beautiful and lovely and interesting and kind. And it makes me want to truly be all of those things because he sees me that way, even when I haven't become them yet. What does grace feel like? It feels like dazzling, guttural relief. (laughs) Like, wow, I don't even know how this can be true, but hallelujah, praise Jesus, thank you. So, before we wrap up with chapter four, I have one more thing to say. I have a million more things to say, actually. I could talk about grace for hours. But let's leave it with this. We've talked a lot about how we live in a world that doesn't extend a lot of grace. And that's a huge reason why it's so hard, I think, for people to understand God's grace. If someone's never experienced it, it makes it real hard to believe that it's possible. Yesterday, when I was meditating on this topic of grace to prepare for today, a question popped into my head and I scribbled it down in my journal. It was this. Are we extenders of God's grace? Are we helping to make his free grace more believable or less? So, this week... Let's make our way to the gate and remember that the door is already open for us. That dazzling relief that God knows everything about us and is still adoring us is waiting. It is waiting, I promise you. And it's a game changer. It is the key to starting to live free of fear, to know that we are completely known and completely loved, despite everything. And as we step into that gate this week, let's be mindful of the people around us. And let's make sure that our words and actions and the way that we treat them, let's make sure all of those things are making God's grace more believable, not less. Thank you so much for listening today. And if you haven't already subscribed to the second cup on Substack, if you do that, it'll make sure that you have access to all of the podcasts before this and that you also won't miss next week's or any that follow. I appreciate all of you. I appreciate every subscription and I appreciate the time that we just spent together. Have a wonderful week.